0: So if you have a device or a Bible or something to look at scripture, we're um, at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 9 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, this is God's very own word. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, you have received mercy. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Amen. Uh, Shall we pray once more? Father, we just pray that your spirit would lead our time of reflection on these words that were read. Help me, Father, by the same spirit to speak only what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church during a pandemic is anything but normal right? We try to sing with uh, our masks on, but quietly. Uh, We greet each other with a holy elbow bump. And we often do that very awkward dance when maybe somebody comes just a little bit too close. And so all of this quite honestly makes church feel very uncomfortable. So how do we make sense then of feeling that things are not quite right in the world? How do we make sense of our our longing for things to be as they once were? To feel at home, in our home, in our community, in our church. So what do you call it when you are removed from everything that you knew to be true and are forced to live in a new environment? What do we call that? We call it being in exile. Exile. Though we're not literally exiles, uh, maybe actually you guys are exiles, right? This is the name of your your church. Though we're not uh, exiles, I think what we're experiencing is much like what exiles experience. And you know, the author of this epistle that we read knows this. How does he address those who he's writing to? What does he call them? He calls them elect exiles, those who are in the dispersion. And so we are just like them. We're we're scattered. We're we're separated from each other. We're those who don't quite feel at home, here in our home. Now, it's one thing to feel out of place in this uh, new COVID-19 reality. But you see, Peter speaks to a deeper truth, the truth in all of us, that this world with its brokenness It's injustice, it's sickness and disease and sin. Well, it's not our home. And so our longing for the kingdom should only grow, right? As we experience the brokenness of this life. And so we really are, we're exiles, we're we're sojourners, we're, we're wanderers here in this world. And so what's the secret then of flourishing as exiles? Well, well, the secret is is this. It's remembering who we are. Remembering this unique kingdom identity for those who have met Jesus and have received this eternal life that we've been singing about. And so in our passage today, we'll be exploring three things related to this kingdom identity. The first is that it leads to gospel confidence. Second, it leads to gospel confidence humility, and finally it leads to gospel purpose. So the author, uh, Peter, was speaking to believers, to Christians who were living in a very anti-Christian context. And as you can imagine, um, well, they were easy targets for blame and prejudice, discrimination. And so I think what we need to recognize is how much this social hostility affects a person. When you're a minority, and Christians at the time were certainly minorities in that larger context, when you're a minority living in a majority culture, you tend to respond in one of two ways. And the first is to try your best to fit in, to be like everybody else, to downplay the differences that you have with everybody else who's living around you. The second, though, is to respond to the hostility you feel with hostility. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, walking around, so to speak, with, with a chip on your shoulder. And, and so I don't think we should underestimate the pressure we feel, the social pressure we feel when we're reminded every day that we're different, that we're not like everybody else. I mentioned earlier that we had the privilege of serving in Cambodia uh, as missionaries and early on we had a um a young woman a caucasian woman who had never lived in Asia before and several months into her time there she she sat down with me and she said Lloyd this is so hard for me every day i walk out of my house and i'm reminded that i i i don't belong here uh kids come up to me and and they they follow me everywhere I go, they stare at me, people point at me, and, and uh, um, every day I have this overwhelming sense that I'm different, but I long so much to be accepted uh, by those who are here. And then she said to me, she looked at me, she said, Lloyd, you don't understand, you're Asian. You don't know what it feels like to be different. And I kind of smiled at the irony of this conversation and reminded her, well, actually, I kind of do know what it feels to be different. So, what happens when we really want to be accepted, right? What happens when we simply don't want to be treated differently? We begin to forget who we are. We begin to adopt the norms, the values, the priorities, the standards of, of the majority. Now, it's one thing to try and fit in as, as a missionary in your host culture. It's another thing to, to try and fit into the world as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and sometimes things get blurred, right? Our, our, our values get blurred our priorities get blurred, our, our ethics and norms. And so living in a context where you are a minority as a follower of Jesus, well, let's be honest, it's hard. And the temptation to be like everybody else is great. If for no other reasons, simply to avoid ridicule and shame. So how does Peter address this? He reminds us of who we are as God's people. He tells us, you are a chosen race. (laughs) You are a royal priesthood. You are a a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. He, he, He wants us to know that we don't need the world's approval. We don't need the world's honor, or sense of acceptance. We don't need to value, validate our existence by the standards of the world, whether that's our, our careers, our money, our success, our power, our influence. We're not of the world, Peter is saying. We've been set apart. We've been chosen by God himself. When I was about... Ten years old in the fourth grade, uh, things changed very radically among uh, my classmates. All of a sudden, boys started liking girls, and girls started liking boys. And the big thing at, at recess was finding out uh, who liked who. And um, on one eventful day, the most popular girl in fourth grade was deliberating between these two boys. It was Dan My friend Danny, the other friend Ke- Kevin. And, of course, as, as fourth graders, we all thought these two boys were going to get in a fight. Uh, but, of course, they were quite mature for, for fourth graders. They just confronted this girl, and they said, you just need to choose. You need to pick. Who's going to be your boyfriend? And, you know, the crowd gathered around, and, and uh, I, of course, I was kind of disappointed. It was, there was no, uh, uh, so I walked off into the shade because it was a hot day, and everyone was wondering, who would she pick? Danny, Kevin, Danny, Kevin. Well, um, with a dramatic effect, she turned and she looked at me and she said, I choose Lloyd. Lloyd will be my boyfriend, right? I thought she was jo- Yeah, you can clap. Uh, I thought she was joking, but she came over, she grabbed my arm and the crowd hummed at this dramatic, how does it feel to be chosen? It feels great, guys. My stock went up that day. Here's the thing, Beloved. God wants to tell us that he chose us. As unlikely candidates as we are, it's not a, he chose us. So now we belong to him. And he gives us significance and he gives us value and he gives us honor, and satisfaction. You see, reminding ourselves of, of who we are helps us to cope against those pressures that we feel of accommodating to the practices and values of the world. Peter described these things as things that we would do with, without conscience before, our former passions. And it's this identity that we have as God's precious chosen people that should give us boldness in gospel confidence, not just to withstand the pressures that we feel, but to engage in this culture, in this world with gospel confidence. That's the first point. This kingdom identity gives us gospel confidence. The second point, gospel humility. So there is obviously uh, the other response to living as a minority in a majority culture. The first being trying to fit in. The second then is hostility, anger, bitterness, right? So instead of trying to be accepted by the majority, we um, oftentimes see the world as our enemy. And uh, we use the same ethics that the world uses against us right back at the world but you see when we begin to live like this the distinction between those who oppress and those who are oppressed well it becomes blurred <laughs> how easy is it though for us to justify these actions but you see when we live like this we become just like those who are in the world in general, I'd say I don't get angry very easily, but one thing that almost always gets my blood boiling is when I feel like somebody has ripped me off. Can you guys relate? That feeling of being taken advantage, it's not so much the money, but sometimes it is the money, but that, that feeling that someone has deceived me, right? It's, it's humiliating. Strikes at your, the core of your, your identity. Well, when we were in Cambodia, um, we were fortunate to have this old uh, uh, Toyota Sienna uh, 1998 um, minivan and there was a car wash right by our house and I was thinking this is wonderful I'll bring my car there every time I need to get it washed and get to know the the people who work there and, and uh, perhaps you know share the gospel and so I pull in our our van into this this car wash and workers from all I don't know where they came from they just all kind of came and started washing my car and I was like this is amazing this is great you know this service is, is better than anything. So they even opened the hood and they were washing inside uh, uh, by the engine, cleaning all these things up, and I was just so happy. So when they're finishing up, one of the workers calls me over and he says, um, points to this, this place um, on my engine. says, looks like you're missing a cap. And I was thinking, that's funny. I, I thought it was there before I came. He goes, don't worry, don't worry. I have one that'll fit it perfectly, and I'll sell it to you for a very good price. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. He has the exact cap that I need. And it's like, it's a miracle, right? You know, considering it's like one of three cars in the whole country, he had the exact cap and then it dawned on me what was going on. And I got so angry. I got so mad. I called his boss over and I was essentially uh, um, chewing, chewing them out. And I was thinking in my mind, I am never coming back here again. I'm going to tell all my friends, don't come back here. This place is horrible. And I forgot the whole reason why I came. Isn't it easy to forget who we are? And so for those of us who are hostile, right, those of us who are angry at the world, bitter at those who oppress, those who... Uh, deceive those who ridicule us Peter what does he do he reminds us of who we who we are what does he say he says you're a chosen race you're a royal priesthood you you're a holy nation You're a people for God's own. He wants us to know that our identity as God's people should be reflected in how we respond to those who slander us, those who deceive us, those who ridicule us, those who seek to harm us and take advantage of us. And there's no doubt that we are going to experience all of those things and have experienced all of those things here in this life. But the Lord calls us to respond with grace and humility. Maybe you're saying... Makes no sense. How do we respond uh, to the hostility of this world with grace and humility? It's only possible when when we've experienced God's grace and God's unconditional love. We we realize how much grace we've received. Who, Who wrote this epistle anyway? The Apostle Peter. Do you remember his story? He was one of Jesus' disciples who, who boasted and said, if all the other disciples abandon you, I will not abandon you. I'm willing even to what? Lay down my life for you, Jesus. And yet in the courtyard of the high priest, confronted by a little girl, He turns his back to Jesus and denies even knowing him not once but but three times and I love how the gospel author Luke describes this scene Jesus is being interrogated beaten there in the in the courtyard and 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 he hears the rooster crow Peter denies him and Peter turns and he he looks at Jesus and Jesus turns his head and he he looks at Peter and you can imagine their eyes locking and and Peter remembering But Jesus said and all that guilt and shame flood into his heart and he breaks down and he weeps and he runs as far and as fast away from Jesus as he possibly could. Jesus does not leave him in his guilt and shame though. Jesus goes to the cross. He pays for all those sins, Peter's sins, our sins. And after Jesus was raised to new life, what did he do? He, he pursues Peter. He forgives Peter. He restores Peter. He enlists Peter to be his under-shepherd. You see, Peter knows what it means to receive grace. And he's telling us to bathe ourselves in this same grace. He says, you were once not God's people, but now you are God's people. Once you, you didn't receive mercy, but, but now you receive. once you lived in the darkness, but now you've been called to his marvelous light. This is us. We are those who have received this grace, this forgiveness. And it's this grace that we've received that should lead, right, to gospel humility. It enables us to give grace to others. That's the second point. Knowing who we are, this kingdom identity gives us gospel humility. And that leads to the final point: gospel purpose. When we understand who we are, then we can begin to live the purpose that God has for us. And Peter says that this new identity that we have in Christ is for the purpose of declaring the excellencies of the one who has called us from darkness. Into his marvelous light. The reason why God chose us, the reason why he saved us, the reason why he redeemed us is to tell others how great he is, to declare the excellencies of the one who has called us. And so here it is in our passage we exist to give glory to God, we don't exist to please others. We don't exist to please our parents. We don't exist to please ourselves. But here, Peter tells us that we exist for him, for his pleasure, for his glory. And ironically, it's when we live for the very pleasure and glory of God that we are what? We are most content and satisfied When I was in university, I, 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 was, I was studying engineering. And it was during those years that I was really praying and asking, God, um, do you want me to be an engineer? Or is there something else that you're calling me to? Uh, a friend of, of mine and I would, would even um, uh, go to the, the BART station there in San Francisco. And I would bring my guitar and... and uh, we just stand right there at the BART station and and I would play these praise songs and we would just sing our hearts out and it would have been great if we could actually hold a tune but it was really bad. (laughs) Somebody gave us money. I think it was to tell us to stop. Uh, And then we got on those trains and we went up and down and, and we we. Anybody who would give us a a minute to share, we would tell them about Jesus. We would tell them about this great God that we have. And I'll be honest with you, there in that city, it was so hard, nobody seemed to care, and actually not a single person um, came to faith that day. But you see, there was this thrill. There was this sense of, of, of God was smiling down upon us as we were telling people how great and glorious he is. The point, of course, is not that being an engineer is any less godly or spiritual, not at all, but simply that when we realize what we are created to do, we experience this incredible amount of satisfaction and joy. And here Peter is saying that, that we were redeemed. We were were born again in order to declare the excellencies of God. And and when we do this, we find joy. (laughs) We find satisfaction. We find purpose, even when we're in exile. What does this mean practically? It means very simply sharing our story. The story of what God has and is continuing to do in our lives by his grace and gospel, te- telling others how awesome and how, how great our God is. And it's not just an individual thing, but it's a community thing. It's something we do as the body of Christ. And it's for this reason when we, we hear of those who are, who are going to places where there's only darkness that we say, yes, let's, let me participate, please. Let me join you. In declaring how great our God is to the ends of the earth. When we define our very purpose in life as declaring the excellencies of Him who has called us from darkness, then we experience freedom. We're free to begin to think, not as the world thinks, but as those who belong to the kingdom of God. We're free to begin praying and investing in those places where there's, there's only darkness and the light of Jesus is not yet shown. We're free to begin to plan, to dream, to embark on adventures that we would have never thought possible before. And we might find ourselves in places where we are engaging with those who do not yet know this sweet, glorious grace of Christ. So let me ask you, how about you? Is God calling you to declare His excellencies to a people who haven't had a chance to hear about Him? Is He calling you to get behind and to support those who, who are called to go. You know, I think it's easy for us to look at this whole COVID-19 pandemic and, and think that it is a, a hindrance to gospel advancement. We're not able to travel as, as freely. We're not able to engage socially as, as we did before. And I can imagine there being economic implications for this, but I can't help but think that somehow our great God has orchestrated even this horrible, horrible disease for his kingdom purposes. You know what we've been praying at Mission to the World these past couple of years? We've been praying for revival, beloved. Revival that would lead to the sending of at least 1% of our whole denomination for foreign missions. And so I'm thinking, could it be that this COVID-19 virus is just one part of the answer to that prayer? Could it be that this pandemic will lead to this great movement of the Holy Spirit, leading many to repentance and faith and then launching a whole army of God's people across the globe to engage in gospel proclamation and demonstration? Peter tells us, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. He reminds us of who we are, that we might proclaim his excellencies to a world still living in darkness. And that is my simple hope for you. Shall we pray?